You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 49. Why should women rule the world? It's a great question and a topic I really enjoyed discussing with my guest in this episode, Fabian Datner. Fabian is a leadership activist, consultant, speaker, and commentator, with a special focus on gender and the role it plays in leadership. In 2016, Fabian was named by the Australian Financial Review as one of the 50 most influential women in Australia. Last year, she launched the Homeward Bound program that took 76 female scientists to Antarctica, a voyage on which they developed as people, thinkers and leaders along the way. In the conversation you're about to hear, we talk about the value that women bring to leadership, how they differ from men and why the world would be a much better place if more were in charge. And perhaps we drift into the topic of Donald Trump and his contribution to gender equality. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Fabian Datna. Fabian Datna, welcome to the Team Guru podcast. Lovely to be with you. Thank you for having me. Fabian, I'm going to start with a tough question, one I've heard you ask. Tell me, why exactly should men and women lead in equal measure? I'm not sure they should lead in equal measure would be my answer. It may well be time for quite a significant shift in the pendulum. And so it may well be time for women to have a significant influence on the way the planet is operating. So an example would be that uh, four quite significant pieces of research, two McKinsey reports, Zenger and Falkman, would be one of the world's respected capability and leadership consultancies. The Hay Group, who many of your listeners will be familiar with, reach a, a very common conclusion. This is thousands and thousands of bits of data on the impact leaders have on outcomes and on teams, on businesses, And they reach four critical conclusions, common, although they may slightly different words. Number one, women have a greater predisposition to collaboration. Number two, women are by nature a bit more inclusive. Number three, they seem to have more of a legacy mindset. And number four, can be trusted more so with assets on behalf of the collective money and people. So as a mother of three sons, as someone who spent a lifetime working with leadership groups around the world, both men and women, we all know that the prevailing leadership model is much more well-suited to the way men predispose to work. So right now we need to address an imbalance, a significant imbalance, on behalf of the greater good. So I don't think this is about gender equity. I think it's about the sustainability of our species because I actually happen to be one of those people who, based on good scientific information, hold that we'll be lucky to see the next 200 years out with the way we're going. It's an incredibly sad story, isn't it? I really like your argument that the reason to rethink 
the gender balance and leadership is so our, our planet sustains itself, so our planet survives. That's a pretty good argument you've got there, Fabian. And, and I like those points that you made. Research tells us that women simply are better at collaborating. They're more inclusive. They have a, a more attuned legacy mindset and they're better trusted with assets. It makes you wonder though, doesn't it? Why is the gender imbalance still so stark? You're, you're dealing with over 2,000 years of enculturation and, you know, men are wonderful, brave, brilliant, clever. Handsome. Uh, oh, definitely handsome. Truthfully, they, they are forgers of the rivers, climbers of the mountain. Yeah. Uh, they uh, start and finish wars. They have the capacity <laughs> to build bridges to take us somewhere. And it's not to say that women can't or won't do any of those things. It's just... At the moment, our world has reached the end of a, a pretty critical cycle and for better or for worse, we're confronted with both the magic of our brilliance and its cost. And every major theocracy in the world is male-dominated. This way we lead in our world is structured around the way men prefer to lead, structural hierarchy. Men are slightly more, you know, something like 70,000 different um, pieces of research on brain distinction has reached the conclusion that there's almost no difference between our brains. Right. Men's brains are predisposed to be slightly more aggressive. Right. Women's brains are slightly predisposed to being more compassionate. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm thinking we're out of balance. So there's a lot of evidence about why we are where we are culturally, philosophically, physically. We're smaller. We're not as strong. We're not as fast. We don't have sharp teeth. We don't have claws. Uh, so men can both physically uh, dominate and can dominate in control of assets. Uh, we live in hierarchical power structures. Women are collective more than they are I predisposed. So mm. men will talk about what I've done, what, yeah. I, what I've achieved, which is a great thing and I, I respect it. Women are more inclined to talk about what we can do, what we, we own, what we can achieve. And those, those two mindsets are at odds because in leadership we reward individual achievement over collective someone's power and influence over a team's success. Not always, but far too often. So how does Australia do? How are we going at the, the gender balance of power, say in the, the private sector or at the government level, when you compare us to other developed nations? Well, I think the world has a, a terrible sameness to it. And right. of course, under the influence of the likes of Donald Trump is going to go back at a furious speed on some of these issues. Now, I appreciate he's Scary, isn't it? Well, you know, he's a disruptor. He's adversarial. He's doing what many, many powerful males will do in the takeover of a corporation. It's a sort of pretty brutal shake-up. I'm one of the people that actually predicted he would win. I think it comes at a time when we've lost faith in leadership. Swinburne did a really interesting, Swinburne uh, Institute of Technology did an interesting piece of research a couple of years ago called Leadership for the Greater Good, and our trust in corporate leadership is sitting at around 26%. 26%. So the long and the short of it mm. is, um, you know, our, we're at a crossroads and I'm, I'm not going to play any games anymore. I don't think this is a light little trivial issue. I yeah. think it's a really, really important issue. And I look at my kids and I think about their children. I think, what are we leaving them? We're leaving them a world in chaos. It's becoming frightened, smaller in thinking, and the planet's at risk. You know, I've just come back from Antarctica and I can't walk away from what I've learned. I've been with 76 scientists for two months. I can't walk away from what I've heard. It's ridiculous what we're doing. It's just silly. The planet will recover, by the way. It's humans may not be here to see it. 
when you have that proximity to science and you you trust the scientific process and then you think about a stunt that our government pulled in parliament just yesterday where they brought in a lump of coal and passed it around parliament and said, it's coal, get used to it. There's nothing wrong with it. That must make you quiver. Uh, That's what I mean by what will happen under Trump. You know, it's been interesting to watch ourselves. Globally, it's been phenomenal media on the back of Homeward Bound. Something like 79 million people heard about it in January alone. And we watched the shift from Trump's inauguration before and after, and the media coverage was huge throughout 2016. Now, whenever an article is posted, say there's a Forbes article or equivalent, there'll be 100 comments, and now 70 of them may be incredibly abusive. And that simply wasn't there beforehand. You know, you'd get one out, two out of 70. So I think what it's going to give people permission to do is be nasty to each other, be accusatory, confrontational, and that's going to frighten a lot of people. It's certainly not going to be something that works for most women, and I think for a lot of men it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. So it's a silly gimmick to pass around coal, a piece of coal, and go, that's just silly, you know, it's just puerile. My head goes, okay, well, I like stunts, you know, Mm. a lifetime of doing some eccentric things in Australia, but... The truth of it, it's just a stunt. That's all. It doesn't mean anything. Well, and it, it, what it does is highlight and brags about their naivety of the scientific process. Yes, pretty well, pretty <laughs> well. And frankly, if they could, we could produce coal and it could be safe and clean, the first people to get behind it would be scientists. So it's not a belief in the scientific method, by the way, and I think that's an interesting comment. The scientific method is desi- designed to get rid of the prospect, uh, the concept of belief. It's not an act of faith science. It's a process by which a proposition is made, it's tested, and then it's peer-reviewed. Mm. So when the world scientific community says we believe, we say this is a truth, then standing on current evidence, you can bank it as a truth. When it is debunked by, say, for instance, a climate de- denier, we're just voicing personal opinion. It's like I can say, I believe you're wearing a hat. That actually doesn't mean you're wearing a hat. It just means I think you are. Mm. It doesn't make it a fact. No, you're right. I shouldn't have said believe. I, w- I meant I trust and understand the scientific Correct. process. Yes. Yep. You, you, you're right to pull me up. Hey, you mentioned in there, Fabian, your Homeward Bound project, and obviously I've, I've read a lot about that, and it's super impressive. Can you tell us more about it, where it came from and what it's all about? Yeah, sure. So there are sort of three overlapping circles. You know, for 30 years I've been working globally and extensively in this part of the world on leadership development and about seven years ago increasingly concerned at the consistent and intransigent problem about the selection and promotion of women. And so we launched in Datna Grant a program for women in or thinking of taking up leadership roles called Compass. Compass is a transformational leadership program, not transactional. So it's not about how to lead, it's why bother leading. And for women, that is an insanely important conversation. It's about our collaboration and about the stories we tell ourselves about our leadership capability. And because we live in in a world that doesn't celebrate our difference and commands, demands that we follow the current leadership model, a lot of the time a lot of women are operating out of preference. So Compass was launched to help have significant, intelligent, 
and transformational conversations about why bother leading. So all the stuff around purpose and values, sense of self, the stories we tell ourselves, remembering some 25% of a random group of women will report some level of sexual physical abuse, you know, real abuse. So creating a space where we can have trusted, safe conversations about how we see ourselves, our role in the world, our purpose and values, our story and our visibility. So we do a lot of coaching around women's visibility from a solid platform and we put women into a collaborative space where they are inclined to perform more effectively. Anyway, I was down in Tasmania running a program. This is in around about October 2015 and I was running it in a program where a number of scientists and conversation Antarctic scientists, conversations about Antarctica are always joyful. Mm. Uh, but this conversation slid from joy and excitement to frustration and anger and to grief in a very short period of time with a number of the women uh, really dissolving into tears as they talked about their grief about what's happening to the planet, their frustration about not being listened to and being consistently passed over for by men. And so much so that they joked that you had to have a beard to be a successful leader in polar science. So uh, something must have happened in my head because I said, okay, let's regroup, go back into the program, focus on where we are and keep talking. And that night I quite literally dreamt homeward bound into reality. I It was a full-blown lucid dream. Right. There I was on a ship with the women. We were filming it. It was called Homeward Bound and I knew what we were doing. And the next morning I rang Jess Melbourne Thomas, who was then halftime between Australian Antarctic Division, halftime with Institute of Marine and Antarctic Science, and told her the dream and I said, do you think it's got legs? And Jess had a short while before done our women's program and she's a beautiful young leader, very brilliant Rhodes Scholar, dreadlocks down to her bum, marine ecologist, and she went yes. And between Jess and I, over the space of the following four weeks, we redrafted a paper I wrote a dozen times as it got escalated up through the Australian Antarctic Division until the then CEO said, I think this program should go ahead. And that kind of gave us not the resources but the courage to pursue the idea. And the rest is history, as they say. We took 76 women with a science background to Antarctica in December 2016 and we're currently open for registrations for 2017-18 right now. And they were doctors, astronomers, physicists, engineers, marine ecologists, penguin specialists, polar specialists, vets, social scientists, engineers, and then people just starting their PhD journey. So we had the youngest was 24 and the oldest was 64. I love the story. I love the fact that you dreamed it and it just became a reality from the dream and you made it happen really quickly. There wasn't much time that elapsed between that dream and actually hitting the water for the first time. It's a great story, Fabian. Why scientists? So I know I know what your story told us there about scientists, but is the is the scientific world worse than other professions in terms of the gender divide in leadership positions? No, it's about the same. So globally, as a sort of very very rough average, about nine yep. percent of global leadership roles in STEM are women. So that's pretty well on par with you know somewhere between nine and seventeen percent is not an unreasonable average around the world in any sector and some a little bit higher, so Nordic countries quite a lot higher. Right. Interesting enough, any country that has a quota system has got more women represented. But why STEM? 
because science touches every single part of our past and present and it informs every part of the choices we will make about our future. Yeah. And I wanted to eliminate any debate about the intellectual capability of these women and I wanted to support what I, as a thinking leader, believe to be a critical part of our global resource that if women were more present would help everybody. And I've already watched just since we've got back just phenomenal jump in their confidence around collaborating over leadership initiatives, sharing bodies of information, peer reviewing the whole project, very clever, capable, loving, collaborative, argumentative, brilliant people and all working to the common good. So the legacy mindset between them has been overwhelming. So all out individually and collectively uh, advocating for more women to come on board and then a million things happening to ensure the project's sustainability globally. So you've told us there a little bit about the energy that you've felt with the group since they've got back as a result of the Homeward Bound project. What happened in reality on that trip that gave them this new awareness and, and confidence that you're seeing, what experience did they go through that you can replicate and give to other women? Well, it's, inc- it's an incredibly complex question. So Homeward Bound, the project, lasts over 12 months. So it's about transformational leadership capability, and mm-hmm. a lot of that happens on the ground before the women get on the ship. Right. It's about a strategy mapping, making a determination about at this point in time, what do you want to be? What's your goal? Not in the in the puerile sense. I want to do a you know twenty k run. Yeah. But who are you in the world? Yeah. What, what do you? You've you've joined this project. Now let's see if we can help you articulate why. Why are you here? And with this in mind, what do you want to achieve in your working life? What do you want to achieve in your family life? What do you want to achieve in your health and leisure? What do you want to achieve in your learning? So those themes are incredibly and equally important to women. So where men might put more energy and focus into what happens in their careers, women treat in many ways their gardening, their family, their cooking, their friends and their work on equal footing. And that is one of their saving graces, uh, which is why the legacy mindset is so strong. So we we make sure there's time to really think that through. We, We work through visibility plans for women. You know, what is, and I know this sounds silly, but what is your elevator pitch? Because often women, when asked, what do you do, can't answer it cleanly. Right. And then we work through how and where and in what way do you want to be visible? Why do you want to be visible? How does it connect back to your strategy map? What are your personal purpose and values? What is important to you? What is the story you tell yourself and how is it helping you or getting in your way? That's the transformative leadership component. The second piece is, We do a symposium at sea, science symposium at sea, and that is all about science communication because, as you know, we live in what is now being horrifically termed a post-fact era. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it horrible? Yeah, it's it's, again, it's one of these just achingly stupid things we're doing. Mm. And so we talk about what this means to people who spend their life working through fact Mm. and reaching logical conclusions but then sharing their information in a way that is so complex in a world that's very lateral and fast that people aren't listening. So there's a a thing called the H-index in science, which is the frequency with which you are published and peer-reviewed. 
Right. And it's a it's an absolutely crucial measure in the sciences. Increasingly, the community is talking about the K index, which is the Kardashian effect. Right. And it is what it says it is. The Kardashians are famous for being famous. Uh-huh. So those who've got the H index have to also have the K index because otherwise you'll have young people or ill-informed people who've got a higher presence online than the person who knows the information and they're sharing misinformation with more effect than the people who actually know the truth. So it's uh, science communication. It's then significant collaboration between all the women around things that matter. And the first trip I would, it has three, three strategic themes. One is you are more able to lead. Two is we are stronger together. And three is we have an impact. I would rate the impact 10 times what we thought we'd achieve. I would rate stronger together as a 10 out of 10. And I would rate the leadership piece probably as a six and a half out of 10, only because it's been now peer reviewed and the changes, improvements, contributions and um, output are so phenomenal. The 2017-18 experience would just be a whole other leap forward. And all I can say to myself is, my God, if we can do this year on year, there really will be this phenomenal coterie of a 1,000 women in 10 years who can help. Wow, that's fantastic. So uh, Homeward Bound version two is going to be even more exciting than the, the one you've just described. Look, I love it. And there's so many things that popped through my head as you were talking. One of them was just that whole idea that politicians like Trump and his ilk, and, and we have some of our own versions here in Australia, they really are at an unfair advantage when it comes to playing the political game because it takes so much more time to inform and to educate and to have a nuanced conversation. Someone like Trump just needs to scare you or make you angry, get, you to, get you to judge something. It's just such an unfair advantage in that political fight, isn't it? Well, you know, it's it's true in all leadership domains. Uh, Trump's strategy as a leader in business has been to bully people. That's mm. what he does. Yeah, uh, He's an aggressive attacker. And the thing about the way human psyche responds to aggressive behaviour, it's roughly we say, you know, that's my specialty working with people like that, is that for every aggressive thing you do, you'll have to do 10 really positive things to outweigh it. Mm. So it's roughly a 10 to 1 ratio. But it's also a marketing skill. It's a communication skill. So it's about learning for scientists who've got the facts how to say one thing that's a showstopper instead of one thing backed by a 100 things that loses your message in a world that doesn't want how you reach that conclusion necessarily. Now, peers will want that. To make it replicable, intelligent people will want that. To be respected and regarded in science, technology, engineering, maths, medicine, you have to have substance behind you. But so does the team guru, so does Fabian. You know, the hollow vessel beating its own drum doesn't have credibility. So but these it, people have got to learn how to be both guides on the side and in their own way, gurus, without feeling anxious about it. When I see Trump, and I know we didn't go get online to talk about Trump, but here we are. When I see Trump in action as a leadership person, someone who cares about development of, of our leaders, I think, oh, gee, that's a bad message because he is showing how, inverted commas, you can be successful by leading with your head, by being a, a schoolyard bully, someone who denies evidence and facts, 
someone who who is is happy to take win lose situations over looking at the big picture, someone who denies the existence of nuance. Yet we're asking our leaders to be so much more thoughtful, so much more authentic and aware of the feelings and the situation of the people they're leading. Trump is the, the is the opposite of everything that we stand for. Yes, yes. And he is not the problem. He's simply a symptom. You know, we have to ask ourselves, why did that come about? And, you know, I confess to being confronted by this in, in my own heart because I knew it was going to happen and I feel like I saw that writing on the wall a long time ago and part of me is concerned that we're actually entering quite a sustained period of time where that will become the norm. And you see it in the rise of Marine Le Pen, the neo-Nazi movement in Germany. I hope that in Australia, because we have really good infrastructure and most people are uh, centred in the cities, that the likes of, I can't even remember a name at the moment, Pauline Hanson. Yeah, Pauline Hanson. How did I guess? Will, uh, who, who will no doubt try and piggyback on the back of Trump's victory. Um, but sure Trump is. is really experienced and incredibly clever. I'm not sure <laughs> that our version of Trump is the same. Well, Corey Bernardi is. Pauline is very persistent. Isn't she? But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm cautious about it, though, and I say to people, humility is what we need now. We need to listen carefully. You know, we need to be really courageous and call it as we see it. I'm about to do a session on ethics in the boardroom for AICD for quite a big audience. And part of me is scared. You know, part of me doesn't want to do it. Part of me doesn't want to say what I really believe. And the other part of me is saying, how can you not? Yeah. Because in the end, what's happened to the boardrooms? You know, we can't, you, and, and, you know, we'll all say, oh, no, we have ethical conventions. We have good governance structure. And I'll say, no, you don't, actually. Something's wrong. And if we can't confront what is wrong, how will we find out what is right? I'm not going to deny your cleverness. I'm not going to deny your values and your compassion and your care. But I am going to challenge you on whether our our governance structures are sufficient because I don't think they are. I'm assuming you will take the high road and and do what's hard and say what you think, Fabian? I hope I do. (laughs) You see, you're not sure yet. Well, it's very interesting. You know, I I hate – I'm not a – aggressive person, mm. and I, I recognise how much hard work leaders put into what they do, and like everyone, you're in front of an audience like that, you're torn, aren't you? You're in a room full of the power brokers, and despite my expertise, I don't want to hurt them or alienate them. So it's that complex internal dialogue on how to do this in a way that brings them along the journey rather than pushes them away from the journey and I'm still in the throes of thinking that through. Homeward Bound has really changed my approach, so I will try to be as considered as possible but as brave as possible. Have you ever considered using the podcast format to deliver training and development programs to your people? Flexible, cost-effective, convenient and incredibly engaging. Talk to David today about tailoring a program to suit your needs. Hey, I was wondering about Homeward Bound and the rousing review you've given it. How important was it that you physically were voyaging to Antarctica? Why couldn't you have done what you did in a workshop? Oh, I just, oh, you, oh, I, I've, I can't even begin to describe. Well, two things are really important. We had a virtual community for 12 months before the voyage. We met every month. There are 60 coaches around the world who helped the women 
We ran two big diagnostics with the women. We introduced them to strategy mapping all before they got on the ship. So I want you to imagine that Antarctica was the picture frame for Homeward Bound. But Antarctica is the canary in the mind. It is so important. And to go to Antarctica, for anyone who's been there will know this, so isolating, so different, so not the planet that you know. Mm. And the metaphor I best use for this is if you've read the Narnia stories, there is a point in the travel from Ushuaia to the Antarctic Peninsula where you cross the Antarctic Convergence and it's a current that runs around Antarctica and the temperature drops in the ocean 27 degrees in a very short period of time. And on one side of an impenetrable mist, you're in a world that you know, and when you finally two hours later get through the convergence, you are in a world you do not know, that you are not familiar with. And then I have the most ordinary metaphor known to mankind. I want you to imagine the refrigerator of someone you know who loves cooking for people. And when you open the fridge, the, the fridge is full to the brim with fabulous food and sauces and cheeses and delicious leftovers and all sorts of yummy things that you can cook great food with and the vegetable crisp is full to the brim with beautiful, beautiful vegetables. And maybe at the bottom of the vegetable crisp are some zucchini that are a bit, you know, slimy. And at the back of the top shelf where you keep all your sauces, there's some chutneys and things that probably should have been thrown out quite a while ago. I want you to imagine the contents of that refrigerator is the world. That's the world we know in all its light and colour and variety and change. Antarctica is the machinery at the back of the fridge that you never see, but when it fails, the fridge fails. Yeah. Hey, that's a pretty good metaphor. That's not bad. I didn't know where it was going, but I like it. Mm. Now, you get to go on these voyages every year, presumably for the foreseeable future. I will go that you you framed it correctly for the foreseeable future. I will go probably for the the first three trips, and then I'll make a call because I take holidays to do it. Nobody is paid to do it. There's no nobody earns any money out of Homeward Bound. We yep. donate huge volumes of time, and I take my annual holidays to do it. And I think about year three, my husband, who is patient beyond the call of mortal <laughs> man, may be saying, "Sweetheart, it's time for." Us to to have a holiday. I can can see that. Now, is voyage number two, is the 2017 version going to be limited again to scientists? Yes. It was women with a science background. Okay. So the applications close on the 20th of February. That was my next question. Yeah, they open on the 20th of January, close on the 20th of February, and they will be notified by the end of February that they've won a spot. If we have enough good applications, appropriate applications, we may pre-select the 2019 group. And then from every year on, we'll be running two years in advance. But they have to have a science background. Now, that can be social science. It can be science communication. We had one of the most extraordinary women uh, who science comes from Medicine Sofrontiere, and she was just one of the magic people on the ship, Carol Devine. We've had mountain scientists from America, Heidi Seltzer. We've had policy advisors. We've had just as vets, as I said, neuroscientists, incredible mix and all ages. One of the things women need to be alert to is they, they hear about it and they go, oh, that would never be for me. And what I'm saying to women is don't rule yourself out because you can't be in the game if you don't take a punt. And we are very careful to select a third who might be at the senior end 
of their profession, a third who are in the middle, and a third who are just starting. And that mix proved to be one of the best blends on the ship. It sounds like an awesome experience. Hey, Fabian, you mentioned earlier the the Scandinavian, the Nordic countries, and that, of course, they have a better representation of women in leadership positions than most other developed nations. They seem to rate highly in everything when it comes to education, social policy of all types. What is it about the Scandinavian countries? They just seem to have it all a bit more sussed than the rest of us. They do. It's a very interesting and long history, actually, and and, uh, far be it for me to accurately tell you the source of that, but it can be traced back a couple of hundred years, I believe, to a Danish king who was a pretty enlightened character. And these countries are smaller, better educated, some of the highest standards of living in our world today, and obviously some of the underpinning philosophy has spread through that part of the world. So you've got some of the greatest values alignment in the world in um, Norway, Denmark, Finland, but you also have it in Holland. You have good gender equity in France, uh, but they did a quota. Uh, Of course, Iceland has got the best, and that's a tiny little community comparatively. The women went on strike and achieved a phenomenon that hasn't been uh, repeated since. So... I think in that part of the world there's just been this long history of thinking things through at a more enlightened level, greater education to what values mean to a society, greater commitment to alignment around it. You mentioned earlier that some of the countries that have the best gender balance and leadership positions are countries that have had a quota system. Tell me where you stand on that. How does it work? Does it work? Is that what we should be doing? I think yes, yes, and yes. I think it's idiotic that we haven't done that for ages you know, it'd be a big pill to swallow and then within a few years all the evidence suggests that it normalises. The reaction by both men and women to quotas is a woman will say, I don't want to be selected just because I'm a woman, mm. and a man will say it's not fair, choose the best person for the job. Yeah. Both reactions uh, represent a deep level of unconscious bias. Many men selected over many women are chosen because they're men. Yeah. Uh, so, th- you know, you could only assume, given the fact that women now represent really half of most intakes in most sectors and in some more, i.e. they're equal numbers in the workforce, that not being selected into leadership is either they're stupid or perhaps there's an embedded bias in it. And if you want to overcome that bias, have a commitment, have a will, take a stand, get over the first hurdle and move on because you're sold on the value of doing that. For men, it feels unfair. They will say, you know, you should choose the best person for the job. We haven't been doing that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like, I'm a, I'm a massive sports fan, Fabian. It's a little bit like the quota system in South Africa when they re-entered the world of sport. They're, most of their national teams are forced to pick X number of black players. And of course, a lot of white players uh, have a massive opposition to that. But the fact is, it forces those sporting bodies to find ways to pick those black players. And it forces them in the sporting sense to then develop the next generation of black players. I'm imagining in the the women quota system in leadership positions, what it would do would be to force organizations to start seeing the value that their biases have led them to ignore for so long. The values that you talked about earlier, collaboration inclusive, a legacy mindset and, and being trustworthy when dealing with assets, it would just give them the motivation quota system forced to, yeah, to put I, a value I on agree. those. And I, I think it's time to get over ourselves in terms of 
the pros and cons of this and just do it. Just do it because the evidence is overwhelming that there is a material benefit to all of us. But the problem, again, is that we're not looking at the facts. You know, when you you do research in organisations, the level of ignorance around gender issues is just extraordinary. Tell me a little bit about that. What, What sort of ignorance is someone like me carrying around that I'm unaware of? Well, that's a great question, and it's not so much ignorance, it's the extent to which unconscious bias, when there's multiple generations of embedded beliefs in a culture. So we will say things like, I'm just joking, I'm not serious. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to ask yourself, when does significant prejudice start? It starts in the lightest of moments. And then people go, oh, come on, fair crack of the whip. Australians mm. got a crude sense of humour. Right. And we'll say, yes, but at whose expense? Yeah. And when does it emerge? And what is the cost of that humour? And no, it's not to destroy humour. It's to say, shift it, shift the focus. So what do I, I discover in the research that we've done, Datna Grant, the business has done on gender-related issues, which we've done a lot of research on, is first of all, there's a lot of lip service about the importance of equity And then when you ask them, besides being important, why would you do it? People don't have an answer. They don't have a why for doing it. Even though the research says you're more profitable, more stable, more inclusive, more collaborative, and more likely to have good legacy footprint. That's what the research shows us. Uh, Businesses are more profitable. (laughs) And we don't know whether it's companies that are more inclined to select women are in fact more enlightened mm-hmm. or the generally selecting- with, with every other decision they make as well. Yes, or whether having more women causes them to be more enlightened. But either gotcha. way, the research shows when more, more women are present at board and executive level, businesses perform better. So the challenge is that, first of all, most people don't know the data, yeah. men or women. Second, even though we give lip service to the issue, it's about number 10 on the things I have to do today. Uh, so it's not important and we're all – overwhelmed by our workloads at the moment. I imagine you're right. It must be people not knowing that data because, hey, which what board do, have you ever met that wouldn't want a more profitable organisation? So if they know that, that that's a fact, then wouldn't we be jumping on board? Oh, yeah, but then comes all the prejudice that says, yeah, we get it, but we've got to find the right women and we're not getting them. And so they don't go, the next step is, well, why aren't you getting them and how are you selecting them and how about you change the whole way you select? And let's have a look at the ad you're putting out. Well, the ad is really gender biased. Let's have a look at when you meet, how you meet. Let's look at where you meet, the dynamic of the meeting. So one of the interesting things on Homeward Bound is every evening there was a knitting project going on. These are brilliant women, but the knitting was a collaborative process, so they were doing squares of knitting. And this ball of wool and a piece of knitting would be left anywhere in the room and anyone would pick it up and start knitting a bit more. There was a major art project we collaborated on based on the beautiful Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, and everyone did something on that project. And I just don't think the same thing would have happened if I'd been landing a project with 70 people of which 50 were men. Mm. It would have been a different dynamic. And it's kind of like most men have no idea what women can contribute because it's not the common model. And I think women, worse still, women themselves don't know, which is why we run Compass. You've given me a little bit of an idea of the opposition you come up against, the more polite opposition you've talked about. Oh, look, we, you know, we like the idea of it, but we have these troubles. What about the uglier opposition that you come up against in your work? 
Is it easy for people who don't like your message to write you off as an, an angry feminist? I don't ever get called an angry feminist, but I might get called, you know, a hippie, a philosopher, right. too far out there, right. d- too disruptive, too risky. And that, of course, is the message of people who can see the future and can pattern the future. Your future is typically described that way. And I am, you know, I'm both a social entrepreneur and a futurist. And I'm a leadership expert. So I've got a kit bag of expertise that is confusing for some people. But I'm not, I'm never called an angry feminist because I don't get angry. And I try to help people. But there will certainly be people who go, it's a step too far. My job, I believe, is to then think, okay, what is the next step that you feel most comfortable taking? Let's find that step and do it. Let's see how, given the critical issues you have on your table right now, what can we do to help you deal with the business issues first? I'm going to ask you in a minute about that it doesn't need to be a cataclysmic event that will change our thinking on this. But before we get there, I want to go back to politics again slightly. I love talking about political leaders because they they are our highest profile leaders in our country. How well do our female political leaders do at representing their gender or should they even be doing that? Is it their job to do that? Are you happy with the stock of political, the female political leaders we have in our country? Yes and no. I think the women who choose, as with the men for what it's worth, who go into political life, which is a really hard life, mm. you've got to want the influence, power, profile, right. and on a comparatively small pay, pay packet big time to do that. Mm. So I have a great deal of respect for putting your money where your mouth is. You know, these are people who seek to represent an issue, a cause, a policy, a proposition, but there aren't anywhere near enough women in leadership. And, of course, the Labor Party has a legacy of promoting women, and the Liberal Party doesn't. So, you know, we don't have enough, but I think everyone recognises that. That's not the domain that I spend a lot of time in. I had the chance, you know, a long time ago and decided that that's not where I could help most, not where I thought the greatest influence would be made. But, I, you know, I can't. I would not criticise the people who are there again. Mm. I respect them, but there's nowhere near enough. Why and, of course, having to go into, you know, the whole parliamentary Westminster practice in public is something I think is alien to women. It's a man's the world. Thing, the aggressive, the jousting, mm. the chest bumping, the yeah. abuse is horrible. The I world's am. actually changed. That's not until Trump came along. I know it's going to become <laughs> commonplace again. Uh, but that's not how you lead. That's, I don't see leadership like that anywhere except in in politics. Yeah. Hey, Fabian, from a man's point of view, that's not the way we roll either. It's yeah. completely alien, I think, to a lot of us, no matter our, our gender. So what yes, is- I think that's correct. I, I think that's absolutely correct. You, but done- you, the, men can deal with it a bit more effectively. Mm. It's not that we don't men don't like it or would prefer not to play that game, but they can play that game, and particularly younger men and women less so, remembering we're not the strongest, the biggest, the toughest. Mm. And we're better in a collective. So in one-on-one combat, you'll always win. And then the women, the the few rare breed of woman who is willing to play that game, doesn't she cop it for being, you know, for being whatever they they might describe her as? Correct. So Fabian, you've done a a terrific job of, of painting what the world could be like if more women were leaders. Does there have to be a a catalyst, a big event that changes us, or are we going to get there slowly by grinding away? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, frankly, I just I don't have that answer. 
all I focus on is what I can do. You know, I believe that the river of life is long and vast and for a brief moment in time we sparkle on the surface of the river and then the spark that is you, the spark that is me is gone and the river moves on. So I, I don't take my part in this complex narrative too seriously. I do what I can and I seek to build collectives and collaborations that move us forward. I think that love is more powerful than hate and I will be an evangelist on that. I believe we can fight for the greater good and I will be as tough around that as Donald Trump will be on the divide. But when my time is done, my time is done and good luck and goodbye to everyone. Not heaven itself upon the past has power for what has been has been and I will have my hour. Great answer, Fabian. All right, now, I know you've got to go. I always end with the same four really quick questions. Question number one, Fabian, tell me about the Saturday night you most look forward to, a big party with lots of people you know or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? Neither. I would love a big party or a medium-sized party with the people I seriously love partying with and love dearly. That always includes our extended family, which on its own is about 25, and then very close friends, which will take us the 30 or 40. We have so much fun together. I would love a night with just my bigger family arguing and playing and, and silly games and great drinks and good music. And somewhere during the night, someone will ramp the music up and we will just dance together. Or we will <laughs> argue the toss over a stupid game that we've just invented on the spur of the moment. That would be my favourite Saturday night. All right, good. Well, you didn't answer my question, but but I love the info. What was your question between the two? Yeah, between the two. Which one do you choose? One well, or the other? Well, it's hybrid. What's that? It's, uh, it's not a party with strangers. <laughs> it's a party with the people I know. All right. Now, are you more likely to be caught daydreaming or to get bogged down in detail? Neither. <laughs> more likely. Which one's most likely? No, I'm not a daydreamer and I don't get bogged down in, in detail. I am uh, really clear on my pathway. Um, I would describe myself as a visionary entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I've uh, Clarity has been one of my, <laughs> my um, stronger characteristics. I don't think... I'm a daydreamer or a de- – I'm not going to get bogged down in detail. That is for sure. Okay. Uh, my ideas may be too big, but I don't get bogged down in them. I'll let them go pretty quickly. So I'm going to be really perverse and say neither. <laughs> Again, all right. Question number three, you a slave to rational thought or do you make decisions based on emotion? I make decisions based on intuitive insight and how I feel about the insight. All right. And very last question, you're going on the road trip. Do you like to book the hotels, plan the route, know exactly where you're going, or do you just get in the car and drive? Uh, Last a question I can answer on a bipolar scale. (laughs) I would like just to get in the car and drive. Fabian Datner, leadership activist, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. You too. Thank you. That was Fabian Datner. I really enjoyed our chat. Passionate, knowledgeable, experienced, and realistic. And I love the facts. Women are simply better at collaborating. They're more inclusive, they have a legacy mindset, and they're more trustworthy with public or company assets. 
you might venture to say they are simply better leadership material. And what about Fabian's answer when I asked her why men and women should lead in equal measure? They shouldn't, she said. The pendulum needs to swing the other way. We need more women than men in leadership positions for the survival of our planet. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Fabian on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and LinkedIn. And join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the principles and theory of leadership development. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.